Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Um, the last two years has been a really interesting season. Um, there's been a lot of changes in the last two years, and I'm not just talking about COVID. Uh, for us personally, there's been a lot of changes because over the last two years, our two eldest granddaughters have moved in to live with us throughout the week while they go to university. They go back home of a weekend, back to Bowie, and uh, it's been a really interesting change of life and season, let me tell you. Um, for so long, it seems, we were empty nesters. We had the house to ourselves. And now we've got teenage girls back in the house. And I've got to tell you, that kind of changes the dynamic. Um, I, I find myself suddenly now staying up till all hours of the night waiting to make sure they got home safely. Or I get the request, um, we're going in with some of our uni friends over to South Bank. Could you drop in about 11 o'clock tonight to pick us up? And that kind of thing. And I'm thinking, I've done all of that and I'm back to square one. But it does actually come with some advantages because periodically the girls will cook meals. And um, I mean, they're not as good as Wendy, but you know, they'll do all right. And the other advantage is that um, from time to time, Wendy will actually send them to go and do the grocery shopping, which is a really good thing. And so what she typically does is that she will give them her debit card, you know, the power of the card, and they take the card and they take the shopping list and they'll head on down to Brookside and they will do the shopping for us. Occasionally, when they come back home, I discover that there are some additional things that have been thrown onto the shopping list that were not originally there, some extra treats, I suppose. But in one sense, that little expedition reminds me of the passage we're going to come through today. You might like to open your Bibles or your devices there to Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, we read there that Jesus, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And in so many ways, it seems that these disciples now had been walking and living alongside of Jesus for so long. They had watched what he had done. They had seen him as he had healed the sick. They had listened as he had shared the message of the kingdom. But now, in a sense, what we find is that Jesus is going to send them out on the errand. They are going to do what he himself has been doing. And I want you to notice there, the first thing is that he actually sends them out. It wasn't that they suddenly one day came up with a great idea. Hey, why don't we go and try and do what Jesus does? No, in fact, what happens is that Jesus, in fact, sends them out. In fact, that little word sent out is the word from which we get the, uh, the concept of the apostle. The apostle is someone who has been sent out. They've been given a commission to go in behalf of the one who has sent them. And so these guys, in a sense, were sent out. And being sent out, they were given the shopping list. What were they required to do? And Jesus tells them quite clearly, well, this is what you're going to do. You are to cast out demons. You're to heal the sick. You're to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. 
And you see, all of these things, they'd actually seen Jesus doing again and again, hadn't they? Even in just the previous chapter, chapter 8, we see in verse 26 that Jesus had been casting demons out. This case, a man in the area of the Gadareans. And Jesus had cast out demons and they had witnessed what Jesus had been doing. In that previous chapter, they had seen Jesus heal a woman who had an issue of bleeding that had gone on for 12 long years, physically depleted, in desperate needing of healing, and none of the physicians of the day could do a thing about it, but they had seen what Jesus had done. Right back in the start of chapter 8, they had watched and been with Jesus as we read that he'd gone from town to town and everywhere he went, he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. They had seen it. They had been first-hand witnesses to all that Jesus had done. But now, now it was their turn to go. To go and to mix it with people, to be present with people on the ground for themselves, to be connecting with people And as they did, to in one sense become an extension of the ministry of Jesus. You see, Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that this was not something that you did by remote control. It was not something you could just order on an app on the line online and hope that you know that it'll just actually happen for you. You actually had to go and you had to be amongst people. And so he sends them out to be amongst people. But the reality was, if they're going to do what Jesus did, if they're going to speak like Jesus spoke, then they've got to, they've actually got to have the power that Jesus had. It's a little bit like our granddaughters when Wendy sends them down to the shop. She's got to give them the debit card. Because there's power in the card, all right? And if they don't have that, they got nothing when they get to the shops. And so in a similar way, we go on to read there that as Jesus sends them out, he sends them out and he gives to them all of the power and the authority that they need to do as he has done, to speak as he has spoken. Those two things are intimately woven together. Power and authority. You see, if it was just power without his authority, that would be a dangerous thing, wouldn't it? If it was his power without his authority, that could get them into all sorts of strife. But it was his power and his authority. And that was the key to the power that they were to demonstrate. The word power that is used there speaks not so much of an an internally generated sense of power and strength or ability, but it is a power which is given, which has been granted. And so he sends them out with this extraordinary power, his power, his authority. I mean, what, what could they possibly fear as they went out? Having been sent by Jesus with his power and with his authority. But you see, as they went out, with this extraordinary power and authority which had been invested in them by Jesus, the key focus of that power and authority was to be 
the message. He says to them that they are to proclaim the kingdom of God. This is the message that they have to deliver. Telling people about the good news of the kingdom of God. This is a kingdom which is like no other. In verse 6, you'll see there that this good news is described as the gospel. It is the gospel. This is the good news that people who were once estranged from God, far off from God, can now be drawn near to God. People who were once the very enemies of God on account of their sin, their selfishness, their determination to take the course of life their own way, those people could now, in fact, be forgiven and drawn near and made right with God. People like you, people like me, who were once filled with turmoil inside, can actually find true peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This this is good news, isn't it? This is the good news that the world desperately needs to hear. And even as Pastor Mark has led this morning, we've reflected upon the chaotic state of our world, where there seems to be no end to the strife, the cruelty, the hardship, the pain. And yet every turn... The gospel of the Lord Jesus speaks into the reality of the pain that this world presents to us. And this is the good news that they are going to deliver. But you remember, don't you, as Paul writes to the Romans, in Romans chapter 10, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Pastor Mark just mentioned that passage for us just before. We actually need to hear the good news of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. If in fact we are to enter into this this faith that brings us peace with God, we've got to hear the good news of the message of the kingdom. And so Jesus sends them out. I'm aware that on the screen above me there, uh, it's a bit truncated on both sides. So you'll in, indulge as I read, read it to you, please. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. In other words, don't go moving from house to house looking for perhaps a, a, a better place, a better accommodation, better food, com- more comfy bed. Just when you get there, stay at the house where you have been accepted. But then he goes on to say, if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town. Do it as a testimony against them. You see, the fact is, Jesus wanted them to understand that not everyone will accept your message, hey? And indeed, if they... If they rejected Jesus, as so many did, then don't be the least bit surprised if people will reject you as you take the message of Jesus. Um, That'll come. In fact, he then says to them, they are to shake off the dust from their feet as a sign. As a sign that these are the people who have rejected the message of God. These are the people who have rejected the message of hope. 
They reject the message of peace with God. And in shaking off the dust of their feet, in one sense, they were symbolically indicating that these are people who are actually setting themselves up for God's coming judgment. But then in verses 7 to 11, it makes it clear that Jesus and his disciples, as they began to, to do the work that Jesus had for them to do, it was not going to go unnoticed. Listen to what it says there. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all about what was going on. What was that? Well, not only what Jesus was doing, but also what his disciples were doing. In one sense, they were, they were functionaries of Jesus. They were extending his work. And so Herod was perplexed because so many were saying that well, John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Well, others that Elijah had appeared and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded him. Who then is this I hear so much about? And he tried to see him. Herod got wind of what was going on. As Jesus had been going from town to town, healing the sick and proclaiming the good news, as his disciples had gone out as his commissioned ambassadors to do the same thing and Herod wanted to see him why did Herod want to see him well we actually get the answer for that toward the end of Luke's gospel when Jesus is brought before Herod in that final judgment before he would go to the cross remember there in chapter 23 and verse 8 we're told that Herod wanted to see him because Herod was hoping to see a miraculous sign Herod wanted to see a party trick I heard this man can do all kinds of extraordinary things. I, I want to see some of it for myself. But you see, he was more interested in the party tricks, if I could put it like that, than in the message. And indeed, there are some today who perhaps are still of the same ilk. They're interested in the message that the church has to give so long as there is some element of excitement, some element of something perhaps a little supernatural. But they're not particularly interested in the message that we have to give about the Lord Jesus. But you know, either way, whenever God begins to be at work amongst his people in a community, it does not go unnoticed. Something happens when God's people get out amongst their community and become living demonstrations of the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus in that community. Something begins to happen. Indeed, that's what we will be praying for during our week of prayer for revival around our state. That as the people of God press outside the four walls of their churches and engage their communities, that God will be powerfully at work and he will be igniting the hearts of people and drawing them to himself. But you know, even after their, their brief mission trip, we read that these disciples, in fact, came back and they reported to Jesus all that they had done using his delegated power. Look, listen to what it says. Then the apostles returned and they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took them with him 
And they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. And what does he do? Perhaps by this stage we might have been tempted to say, look, I need a break. Just go away and give me a break. But no, Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, it says that he welcomed them. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed all of those who needed healing. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus' heart is just constantly ready and open and willing to engage people who desperately need to hear the message of the kingdom. Well, later that day, we discover that uh, it's getting late in the afternoon and the disciples come to Jesus, the 12 come, and they say, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place. And so Jesus replies to them and he says to them, no, you give them something to eat. And these poor old disciples by this stage, I suspect uh, they've come off the back of a high. They've been on a wonderful mission trip. They've seen all the extraordinary things that God can do. But now Jesus is putting on them. He says, you give them something to eat. And the best that they can rustle up there is five loaves and a couple of fish. And they basically say to Jesus, we can't do this. We, ha we, we haven't got enough. I mean, seriously, there's, there's 5,000 people here. We, we have not got enough. I wonder if you've ever felt like that with the task that God has given to you. God, I, I, I just haven't got enough. Wendy messaged me yesterday afternoon late. She had flown out of Launceston about 6.30 on, in the morning. Uh, I lay over in Melbourne for a couple of hours, made her way up to Darwin, got to Darwin fairly late in the afternoon then had to go and speak last night. And she said, the truth is, I'm absolutely exhausted <laughs> and I'm not sure that I've got what it takes. And there are times, aren't there, when we, we've got to reckon with the fact that we just haven't got enough, Lord. I can't do this, Lord. I, I, I can't get up and speak in front of those people. I, I can't go and talk to that neighbour. I can't, I can't take on any more responsibility. I, I, I haven't got enough. Lord, surely there's somebody else. Surely there's somebody else who can do this, not me. And I love the way that Jesus seems to work so graciously and patiently with his disciples. He basically says to them, look, go and get the crowd seated and just, just bring me what you have. Go and get them all to sit down. Bring me your meager offering, your five loaves and your two fish. Just bring it to me. And then in verse 16, we read on that taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks and he broke it. Then what does he do? He gave it to the disciples to set before the people. Now, what's going on here? 
You know, it seems to me that one of the things Jesus is clearly wanting his disciples to understand is, I'm inviting you to participate in what I'm doing. You see, in one sense, Jesus could have so easily been the one to just say, look, you guys just sit over there, get the crowd seated, and and look, just watch what I can do, all right? And he could have broken the loaves and the fish, and he could have begun to distribute it to the crowds, but instead he gives it to his disciples and says, no, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to share in this. I want you to share in this moment. And he gives it to the disciples who in turn then give it to the rest of the people. And it never ceases to amaze me that God in his infinite grace chooses people like you and me and says, yes, but I want you to be a participant in what I'm doing in this world. I can do absolutely anything, but I want you to share in it. I want you to have the opportunity to share in this extraordinary work of the kingdom in the midst of this broken and busted up world. Hey, do you notice how many basket loaves of remains there were? Twelve. Twelve basket loads of remains after Jesus broke those loaves and fish. One way or another, it seems to me that in the abundance of the leftovers, Jesus again was teaching his disciples a powerful lesson. Listen, when I send you out to do something, there will always, always be more than enough. You may not have it yourself, but if I give it to you, there will be more than enough for everything I've called you to do. Do you believe that? Reminds me of Paul's words to the Philippians in Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches which are in Christ Jesus. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, he is more than enough. He will have more than enough for you to fulfill his high and holy calling. Reminded of the the words of Hudson Taylor, that great missionary to China of a bygone era. Remember one of his catch cries was, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. In other words, if we are committed to stepping out in faith and obedience, to doing the thing that God has called us to do, never ever will we get to the point where we do not have enough. But what was going on here? What was happening in all of this? As Jesus sends these disciples out on that short-term mission, and they came back and they shared all of the excitement they had about everything that had taken place as they participated alongside of Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000. Let me suggest to you that all of this was just a foretaste of an even greater commission that was going to be placed upon the lives of these disciples at the end of Jesus' ministry in Luke's gospel in chapter 24. Let me read to you the words that are on there on the screen. It says then, after his resurrection, he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at 
Jerusalem. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. You see, they'd been on a short-term mission trip. They'd had a foretaste of the extraordinary power of God that could be at work in and through them. But this was just a foretaste of something that was going to come even later. The apostle, um, sorry, Luke was reminding these people that there was an intrinsic power that was going to be offered to them. In fact, he picks it up in Acts in chapter 1 where he records the words of Jesus and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the very ends of the earth. But the promise of Jesus was, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you all of the power that you need to be faithful proclaimers of the good news of the gospel. As you witness to the saving grace and power of the Lord Jesus, you are not going to do this in your own strength. All of my divine power will be invested in you as you are prepared to go. You know, it seems to me that... um, For many of us, we have perhaps known seasons where we have seen something of the mighty working of the power of God in our lives. And yet, for some of us, I suspect we've been content for that to be, in a sense, just a foretaste. Because we've not availed ourselves of that ongoing and enduring power of Christ to be a faithful witness for him in the world around about us. When I was 17, I had the opportunity to go on a short-term mission trip to Wave Hill up in the Northern Territory. There was about 40 of us who went from Ashgrove Baptist Youth Group. We had a fabulous time. What an experience. Man, blew my mind. We came back with all kinds of photos and extraordinary stories of all the things that we'd seen and been involved in. And it was absolutely brilliant. But I must confess, upon return, I enjoyed the moment. But that moment had come and gone. It wasn't until some years later when God genuinely got a hold of my heart and made it abundantly clear that this was not to be a short-term mission. But this was to be a lifetime of surrender to the power and authority of the Lord Jesus so that I could be engaged in his great work of the kingdom, not just for a moment, but for the journey of my life. I notice a sign you have above the door there. It says, you are now entering your mission field. And yet I suspect that too often we have known times where we have been engaged in the mission field. We've known times when we have been participants in the extraordinary power of God as we have witnessed to his saving grace and power and we've seen other people's lives touched. But it's been a fleeting season. 
And my suspicion is that what Jesus was wanting to do with his disciples on this occasion was to be building into them a growing sense of the reality of what would happen on that day of Pentecost when they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and with his power so that they might become enduring participants in the great kingdom work of God in this world. I want to say to you this morning, if you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been born again by that self-same spirit. His spirit resides within you. And on account of his spirit, you have been vested with all of the power and the authority that you need to be an enduring servant of the gospel, the message of the kingdom. And so I want to encourage you this morning to recognize what an extraordinary privilege it is that has been given to us. Just as those early disciples were given an extraordinary opportunity to share and participate in what Jesus was doing in the world, so he continues to call his people today that we might be sharers together in the great work of the kingdom. My prayer is that none of us would grow weary in the task. But we'd recognise the intrinsic joy and the extraordinary power that has been made available to us to share in what he is doing in this world. Will you join me as we pray? Heavenly Lord, we want to say thank you that you've given us this extraordinary privilege of being sharers together in the great work of God in this world. A world that is in such desperate need. A world on so many levels that is in absolute confusion and pain and heartache and distress. Longing to find meaning, longing to find peace. And yet, Father, you've entrusted us with this glorious gospel of peace, this good news, this good news of the kingdom. And so, Lord, together today we want to to simply recommit ourselves to you, Lord, to be participants, to be sharers in the great mission of God in this world, to be absolutely surrendered to all that you want to do in us and through us, conscious, Lord, that we do not do it in our own strength, but we do it in the power of your spirit. And so, Lord, as we close off, let this benediction be ours from Ephesians in chapter 3 now to him. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.